Combo Nation. Let me turn the AC down. Let me turn the heat up. Combo Nation, what up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 218. You heard that right. Episode 218 of Combo's Court. And I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, punch down on that. Subscribe button. Wherever you listen to Combo's Court, may it be iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcast, man, wherever you listen to the show. And shout out to everyone who follows me on Instagram at 12combo. That's O N E T W O C O M B O. Today's show, Spike Eskin of The Rights to Ricky Sanchez Podcast joins in a great conversation with Spike. Can't wait for you all to hear it. Go subscribe to the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Luca, don't do it to him. Mike Eskin, Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. Welcome to Combo's Court. How are you feeling today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Tell us more about the pod and the name of the pod. Uh, so the pod's been around for seven and a half years now, which is pretty crazy when you think about it, that we've been through all that. We started it when uh, I had met my podcast partner, Mike, uh, over the internet. He was writing for a, a Sixers blog called Liberty Ballers uh, that's still there. And I was doing late night radio shows at the time. And he had written something about my father, like in a negative way, who was a sports talk host in Philly, which I thought was funny. So I had him on my show a couple of times. And when the Sixers hired Hinky, we decided to record, like I was doing a lot of podcasts at the time. I was doing a football one, a sports gambling one. And we decided to do a couple of Sixers ones. And we realized that there wasn't anyone else doing it. So, uh, so it stuck. And the name... Uh, we, everything from the beginning has been about inside jokes, right? So, uh, we had a list of like 15 names that we thought very few people would understand. And I was looking through old Sixers transactions and they had traded, uh, the rights to this, um, uh, basketball player, uh, Ricky Sanchez, who is Puerto Rican, never played in the NBA. And they had traded him for Sam Young. in I think 2011. Uh, and I just thought the phrase, the rice Ricky Sanchez was funny. And yeah. I said, how about this one? And he's like, that's the one. And then that was it. Yeah. He spent a lot of his career in the BSN. It's actually an underrated uh, domestic league. It's a pretty good league. The reason it's underrated is because the duration isn't long. You know, it's only uh, a few month league. It's a good league though. I mean, the Puerto Rican native players are, you know, they're good. Um, yeah, I want- well, he he's played for a while. He, uh, yeah. it, it was funny. I think it was maybe six years ago during the world championships or something. And it was during the Spanish broadcast, somebody mentioned the podcast and uh, Ricky Sanchez was on the team. And all I saw, like somebody sent me a screen grab of it. And I thought it was the coolest thing that somehow this poor guy who we've never talked to, never met, never even like talked about. Like that's is, crazy is probably more well-known in the United States for this than for his basketball career. So that's great. I wonder if he tunes in or how familiar, I mean, he must be pretty familiar with the pod, right? He must know it exists. I, I think someone, our listeners are pretty rabid and I, 
somebody had uh, had sent me an email that they happened upon his phone number and texted him about it, and he had replied. But he does—he's not really online anywhere. He must be aware. That—that's yeah. all. He—he he must at least be aware. For sure, I've I've had uh, your own Weitzman on my pod, author of Tanking to the Top. He mentioned right. your pod and the influence it has. Um, how much influence over the fan base or even the Sixers do you believe you have, and what kind of responsibility do you feel with that? Uh, influence over the fan base? I don't know. I uh, I like to think that the podcast is sort of a central meeting point for a certain portion of the fan community. So I do think that there, I think that the, the influence as a whole is probably like, boy, that's a, a weird question. I think the team hears us. Let's put it that way. Okay. I, I, I don't, I don't know that they've ever made a decision <laughs> based on how this portion of the fan base will react. But I would say that every time they make a decision, there is somebody high enough up in the organization that is aware of or, or thinks they can guess what our, our response will be. And, and, uh, and that I think they're prepared for it one way or another. Um, as far as our influence over the base, I, it's a hard question. I don't know. I, I don't think, I don't think, Anyone ever thinks, not no one. I think a very small percentage of, of people who listen to us think something about a player because I think something about a player. I don't think that is wow. the goal. I think the goal is to be able to express what we feel in a way that people aren't able to do because they either don't have the platform or aren't like skilled in a particular way. So I think that, I feel like I speak for a group of them, but I don't know that I have influence. The only time that I ever think I have influence is when I feel like I know about an internal situation better than they would because of the people that I know. And when I'll be like, you know, it really wasn't that guy's decision, it was that guy's decision, or you shouldn't be mad at this person, you should be mad at that person. I think they listen to me on that because I, I think over the years they've believed that I know, but I, I don't think, you know, I'll go, this is a bad trade. Like I didn't want them to trade for Jimmy Butler, right? I, I, I hated that trade. And our listeners were furious at me for a year because of how I reacted to that. So I don't think I convinced anyone. <laughs> well, were they right? They did pretty well with Jimmy. Right. But he's gone. Yeah. that's true. You, you know, like my point was never, I, look, who knows who was right. My point was never that he wasn't good. My point when they, when I said, even before they traded for him, I said, you have this situation where Ben's going to want the ball and Jimmy's going to want the ball. Jimmy thinks he's a point guard and Ben thinks he's going to a point guard. And this is never going to work with the two of them. And the team's not going to give up on Ben. So this is not going to work. That was always my point. And it didn't like he didn't, yeah. he, you know, he didn't want to be, neither guy wanted to be second banana. So I'm sorry, that's a really long answer, but that's sort no, of okay. how, I, that's sort of how I feel. I, we are loud and people hear us and we are, um, we represent a certain portion of the fan base, not the entire fan base, but a certain portion. And I think, uh, I think people are very aware. Um, you know, I think one time we did have some influence was when during probably a month into the pandemic, the Sixers cut salaries for anyone in their organization, $50,000 or more. And right. I think between us and then Embiid just freaking the f out over it, I think they reverse course. So okay. 
So I think we might have saved some people some money, maybe. All right. So, I mean, I've been thinking about this. I listened to your pod. I listened to the last few episodes. The Sixers are real. First of all, they're, to me, the most interesting team in the NBA. They have been. It was them and the Rockets last year. And this year, mm-hmm. I think it's just them to me personally. Uh, they're so talented. Like, no matter, like, in the front office, coaching staff, you have Ben and Joel. I mean, when you have that kind of talent, you have a chance. You always have a chance. What do you feel about that and just the moves they're making around them? They seem to be going back to what they should have been doing, uh, what they were doing, trying to put shot creation and shooters around Ben and Joel. What do you feel about this season coming up? So I think they have, in a good way, taken a step back about two years. You know, when they had that lineup that was Simmons, Reddick, Covington, and Bede, and who am I forgetting? One more. Oh, and Sarich. That, that's that was, interesting because you would it would be great to see Reddick and Covington right now in free agency come to the Sixers. Yeah, and and so, like all of them, like that that lineup, that specific lineup that year was like as far as you know point differential was the best lineup in the NBA. Like that was the the most successful lineup in the NBA. And what they did over the next two years was like not only completely dismantle it, but go away from what made it good. You know, so I think in a lot of ways they have taken a step back to that you know i don't think seth curry is reddick exactly but he fills that role i don't think danny green is covington exactly but he fills that role um you know i i wish that tobias harris had a quick trigger finger like sarich does from the perimeter but he's a a good three-point shooter so i think it takes them back to that spot and i think that was a good idea getting rid of horford was a good idea I still have trouble looking at them and saying that, okay, once, once we, I think they'll be great in the regular season. I think they'll be really, really good. But once they get to playoff defense and all of a sudden you have to create half court offense, I just don't know who on the perimeter is there. Okay. The defense is really tough right now. We needed somebody to create a shot. Who's going to create the shot. I still don't think they have that person. And that's, that's what keeps them for me from being a legitimate title contender. I think there's a way they could get out of the East, but I I just don't see a way that they could beat team after team after team in the playoffs without that kind of person. Yeah. I'm with you. When you have that big point forward, I'm not comparing all these guys, but like Ben and Giannis and Mm -hmm. that shot creation, but I feel like Seth gives you more of that than Reddick did. Right. Yeah, a little bit more, but also he, yeah, he does like Reddick. You didn't want him putting it on the floor at all. Now they, they sort of got around that by, they had that dribble handoff play. They would run with Embiid and Reddick and it would sort of work like a, almost like a pick and roll without Reddick having to dribble. Right. It would create this shot for him without him or, or they would, you know, they would double up on Reddick and it would, it would, Embiid would be wide open. It would do that. Uh, Seth Curry is a better ball handler than Reddick was, but he's not. I still, at the end of the game, I know this sounds like, like you're dumbing basketball down, but at the end of the game, somebody has to take the ball and do something with it. And do you see at the end, when I, when I think about, you know, championship players at the end of games, the guys who are doing that, you know, I would go Kawhi, I would go LeBron, I would go, you know, even like at this point, Jason Tatum or, Damian Lillard, whoever it is, or Harden, 
would you put Seth Curry? <laughs> would you be comfortable going into a game seven with Seth Curry as that guy? Probably right. not. You know. Yeah, that's why he was a good combination with Luca because Luca right. always has the ball. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So do you feel that? I mean, obviously a lot of it is X's and O's, but do you feel like he somewhat unlocks the offense? Yes. Guys like Seth, guys like Danny. Yeah, I yeah, I I think it certainly during the regular season and certainly during certainly with in, inferior opponents, I think there will be a time during the season where we convince ourselves that this specific team could win the championship because of how well they're playing. But I I still unless I I would say the only difference with this is unless Ben Simmons becomes that guy which he never has been right like as soon as the defense locks down i'm higher on ben than many by the way okay yeah i I just there was this you know lebron he gets compared to lebron a lot but there was a point at which lebron in his career and it was pretty early it was like you know in the third second or third year when he was like all right well i'm bigger and stronger and faster than everyone so even if i don't have moves i can still get to the basket and the worst case i'm going to get fouled yeah. And Ben Ben's never decided to do that. And I, I think for a couple of reasons, he's scared of getting fouled because he doesn't shoot foul shots. Well, he doesn't really finish that well. Um, and he, his handle is like good, but it's not it's good in transition for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But in half court, it's, it's not like there. So if he becomes that, if he starts getting to the line 10 times a game, because he's just bullying his way to the, to the rim, sort of like Giannis does, uh, I think they're in better shape, but right now, as as I know the players as they are, I think they're they're missing that. But regular season, I think the offense will be great. So Dwight Howard, uh, mm-hmm. you guys are pretty pessimistic about Dwight Howard's landing with the Sixers. I mean, if he does what he does as, as he did last year, not thirty year old Dwight, I think he could help a lot. Uh, Joel <laughs> helped recruit him, right? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> So that, that was like a sort of a, a line in a Chris Haynes article that I was like, I don't know. I mean, maybe they asked him to text him. I don't know. It doesn't feel like Embiid is, I th- I agree with you. I think in the best case scenario, he's perfect. He, you know, that the Dwight Howard from last year, perfect. But I do think my, my worry is I do think a lot of what made Dwight willing to accept that role last year is that. You know, if you remember correctly, before Dwight signed with the Lakers, there are all these reports that LeBron had to have a talk with him, Anthony 100%. Davis had to have a talk with him, Rondo had to talk with him, all this. And here are vets who are. But it did work out. That's the thing. It did. Yeah. It, you're, you're right, 100%. But I, I just know this Sixers locker room is there's no one who runs this locker room. You know, there's no guy who everybody looks to and says, ah, you know, I, I want to keep in line because that you know, we all respect that guy. And that's what I worry about with Dwight is that there isn't that guy in the locker room that is going to prevent him from being old Dwight, but who knows, maybe he's turned a corner. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Does, does Ben ever show signs of that? No. With leadership? No, no, no. he's, he's very, neither guy. And I, again, this is something that I, I clash with, with our audience. I'm, I'm typically more negative about Ben than most people are and more positive about Joel, but even Joel's not that guy, you know, you, Ben's very quiet. Now, Ben is a gamer. He, he plays. He plays hard. But he is a super quiet. You never hear him being. I, th- I think he has a pretty good relationship with Tobias Harris. But uh, he's never been a you know, locker room leader guy. And uh, I think it's tough for Joel to be that. 
because of how often he's hurt. Um, and you know, he hasn't, he doesn't have the rep of a, you know, big time NBA star who, you know, does it when it counts. So they've been missing that. And that's been a problem for a couple of years now. Yeah. I feel that actually the Sixers have a chance to win the championship. You do, but I do, but I don't think they could beat the Lakers if they stay strong and healthy. I think I really could see them beating any other team. So they have a chance, but what would you like to see them do? I mean, personnel is getting better and Dow Moore will still make more moves, uh, yep. but go ahead and share your thoughts and let me know what you think. Well, I, I guess what I'm, what I agree with you in is I feel like they could beat any NBA team in a seven game series. Yes. I agree with you a hundred percent, except the Lakers, if they're healthy, that's my thoughts. Yeah. And I even think, is there a world in which that happens? Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, maybe I give them a 15% shot, you know, right, uh, right, right. once or twice out of, uh, but do I think they could beat three of those teams in succession in a seven game series? Right. Do I think they could beat Boston and then Milwaukee and then the Lakers or the Clippers and all of those things happen. Then the odds get shorter every time because right. you're Margin talking, error. you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so that's, that's sort of where I, I, I thought when Maury took over that this was probably a two or three year project for him to get the team where it needs to be. Uh, they, he came in with a, you know, with a couple of weights on his ankles in that, yeah that Horford contract, Tobias Harris contract, the, you know, they don't really have a bunch of draft picks to spare. They didn't have anybody on a really good contract to trade. You know, there weren't a bunch of those eight or $10 million deals where you could, where those are super valuable for other people. They don't have a ton of young players behind Simmons and Embiid. So I think he took the first steps this year and that is get off of Horford and, and create a roster that makes more sense. The next step, will be, I, I think they are a major player away. Now, who knows? Maybe it's Harden, right? Maybe it's Harden and that happens this year. I don't know. What, who would I, you trade? Or you would try and keep all three? I don't know if that's not possible, right? No, I, I think they got to trade. I think they trade Simmons. I think that's the the deal. I think the deal is is Simmons for, for, for Harden. And I think at that point, they become a pretty scary team, you know, shooting all over the place, including at center. Uh, you know, one of the five best players in the league, maybe one of the two best guards in the league, along with maybe one of the two or three best centers in the league, then you, you become really scary, I think. So maybe that happens. Harden would have to make some slight adjustments. Yeah. 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 But, but he hasn't always played this way too. No, no, of course not. Yeah. You know, so I, I think he's, I think it's possible, you know, and even honestly, even in Houston, when they had Capella, he played differently than without Capella, you know, without Capella, it was yeah. all ISO with Capella. It was a lot of pick and roll. So I think, uh, I think they could, I still think they're a piece, uh, maybe not a best player in the NBA piece, but a, a top shot, 20. You're looking for shot creation, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So what kind of players do you think Daryl Morey could get realistically? Um, I'm not talking about a big trade for Ben, because I honestly would like to see them make it work together at least for a year or two more. So what kind of, yeah. who, who exactly? I mean, we know what they need shot creation. So who? I don't know that it's yeah. hard, you know, it's hard because any player that's the problem they have is that any player of that level is going to require a trade of assets that they don't 
particularly have. Now, maybe there's a three-team trade somewhere and somebody wants somebody, but I look at the players who might be available and you think to yourself, well, Bradley Beal, well, they're not trading Bradley Beal to the Sixers no for anybody All less those Bradley Beal rumors were crazy for every team almost. You know? Yeah, be, yeah, because you got to trade. You know, we just saw three number one picks for friggin' Drew Holiday on an expiring contract. You know, what's Bradley Beal worth? Five, right, right. five ones. And, and, you know, so I, I'm being honest with you when I tell you, I don't know. I think, um, you know, Bogdanovich would have been a really cool player for them if they had the ability to sign so and trade. Teams, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he, they didn't get him. But but who knows? There's always there always becomes somebody who is unhappy, who we didn't think was going to be unhappy. And who knows who that ends up being? But I don't Does at some point, if the Blazers are 500 at the all star break, does Dame Lillard say, this isn't going to work for me here. I don't know. I, you don't think so. He's a God in Portland, but maybe I, I think you just have to keep your eyes open. Like Maury has done previously, you know, when he got Harden, when he got Chris Paul for that player who wants out and you just swoop in and hopefully over the next year or two, he acquires younger players that become, you know, uh, attractive to another team and he can make that trade happen. Right. We cover the draft pretty often on this podcast. Uh, how would you grade the Sixers draft performance? So I'm not great at the draft. I, uh, I but you famous- know about Maxi. I do. I do. Yeah. So I famously don't watch college basketball at all. Um, and I, it's been the- pretty good lately, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm I, enjoying it. There's just so many. I, I don't look, dude, I'm 44. I got a wife. I, I got time a, management. Time yeah. Management. Yeah. So, so for you about got meeting schedules, you got, uh, you right. Know, all that stuff. Right. So I spent about three weeks before the draft watching as much YouTube as I could. Maxi was like number six or seven on my list of guys who, uh, who I thought would be really good for them. He seems like a really tough player. He can get to the rim. He's like a, you know, teammates seem to like him a lot. Seems that the very worst would be a great, you know, microwave type six man, um, you know, and if that shot, if that three point shot comes around, you know, maybe more than that, maybe he ends up being a starter. So I was pretty happy with that. Um, Do you think he could step into that role as a shot creator? Maybe not, maybe not this year. I mean, you know, yeah. improving on this year, going into the year after. Yeah. Eventually it's, it's not rookies in the NBA typically aren't huge contributors to good teams, especially in a, in a role like that, but maybe the funny you know, thing is, is that the fans expect that though, from every single draft prospect, it's amazing. And my, my, my co-host does it too. Like he said the other day when we were talking about the Zaire Smith trade and uh, we were talking about the, the guy they got in return, he had mentioned, Mike had mentioned that he thought Paul Reed could be the third string center who they drafted with the 58th pick. Like, and I'm like, Mike, there's, the 58th pick is not going to contribute in any meaningful way to a, an NBA team. Uh, and I think fans do that too. So, and I like Isaiah, Isaiah Joe was a guy that the Sixers had been rumored to be interested in. Yeah. Um, and looking he at shoot his, it, he could shoot it and he will shoot it too. He is, yeah. he is not shy. So I think both guys project as guys that could be valuable for them. Probably not this year, but I think so. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, when they start, Making the when they when fans start having these crazy expectations, the first I hate the bust word, but the B word starts coming into it for mm-hmm. no reason, you know. 
it's just it's just crazy even for top picks even for you know because yeah, everybody five, thinks that people are gonna have like a luca trajectory or a lebron tra- trajectory it's like that's not realistic you it know? takes a minute for most of them it takes a minute so and especially when you talk about big guys and you talk about point guards those seem to be the two positions you know big guys figuring out not how to foul in the nba like they all foul too much when they come into the league and point guards it just it's just a different way of playing basketball, the NBA, as opposed to college. And the, the strength of the players, I always say there's this strength that, that ball handlers in the NBA have if they're not super quick. Like if they're, you know, if they're not Steph Curry, you have to be able to get your shoulder, get that guy on your shoulder and be able to push past him. Right. And most your college guards don't have that strength for the first two, three years they're in the NBA. So, um, but I'm I'm optimistic. Everyone's and everyone across the country seemed to like the draft, the Sixers draft a lot. So yeah, I thought it was good. I thought it was good. Spike, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Uh, where can we find you on social media and everywhere else? Uh, Spike Eskin is Twitter. Uh, RTRS Podcast is Twitter. On Rights to Ricky Sanchez and just Rights to Ricky Sanchez dot com is that. There you the go. Website. Well, hopefully you'll be back on the show soon. We can talk more Sixers basketball. Thanks for being here, man. I appreciate you having me. Anytime. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in to Combo's Court. Big shouts to Spike for joining in. We appreciate you. Go subscribe to the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. Combo Nation, rate, review, and punch down on the subscribe button. We here at Combo's Court would greatly appreciate it. Tell a friend to tell a friend about the show and be on the lookout for episode 219, Combo. Out.